Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com. Giants reporter, fresh off a 26-16 Giants loss in their season opener to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And really, you have to think about it. It was exactly what everyone, at least most people, thought it was going to be in that the better team, the more talented team, was just going to be too much for the Giants. Now, I thought they could slap it together and surprise the Steelers, a Steelers team with Ben Roethlisberger coming back from injury, and I was wrong. I was wrong. The Giants couldn't run the ball, and while I was right about Ben Roethlisberger being a little bit rusty, it was only for about most of the first half, really at the end of the second quarter, he kind of found his groove after missing most of last year, and all of a sudden he said, okay, I know where I could pick on this Giants defense now. I'm going to go attack, attack, attack. He looked like the old Big Ben, and the Steelers end up winning fairly easily. Now, we'll get into the good, the bad, and the WTF, okay? That's kind of what we're going to do fresh off games, and we'll have an interview. We got, we got a great guest, Jeff Schwartz, former Giants offensive lineman. He's going to talk about what went wrong with the Giants offensive line on Monday night and what they could do moving forward. So we'll have that for you. This will be a episode chock full of information. I'll even get into later on what it's actually like to cover an NFL game in the COVID-19 environment. So it was definitely an interesting experience. But what we saw on the field when they lose, what, we're, what we do is we start off with the bad. When they win, we'll start off with the good. So in this case, we got to start off with the bad. From Monday night's 26-16 loss to the Steelers. And you have to start with the offense and the offensive line. Because that's really where the Giants lost this game. The Giants could not run the football at all. Think about this. Saquon Barkley, 15 rushes for 6 yards. That's .4 yards per carry. That is really, really hard to do. The quarterback can basically fall forward and QB sneak for better than that on 15 rushes. If the Giants knew that they would have that much trouble rushing, they could have just 15 times QB sneaked Daniel Jones and produced better than Saquon Barkley did against the Steelers' defense. Now, the Steelers sold out to stop the run. I mean, seven, eight guys in the box, pressuring, rushing every single play. They did not care. Rundowns specifically, they were blitzing and bringing more guys, knowing that their number one priority was to stop Saquon Barkley. And the offensive line and the Giants, it struggled. Now, I thought they would struggle more on the pass protection side early this season. I thought they were better suited almost to a man by position to be better run blockers. You're talking about Nick Gates at center, a bigger guy, a guy whose you know, run blocking was solid last year at right tackle. I thought... At least, you know, the pass protection part might be complicated for him. It might be difficult. Things might be moving fast. At run blocking, he'd do better. Uh, Cameron Fleming, also a guy. Right tackle, better as a run blocker. And then you have Kevin Zeitler and Will Hernandez. Will Hernandez, I definitely think, is a better run blocker than pass protector. So, And then rookie Andrew Thomas, same thing. Thought maybe he'd have more success run blocking against these Steelers than pass protecting, especially considering he's facing top-level competition in Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt. But... Cohesiveness, chemistry, learning to play together is huge with the offensive line. How many times have we talked about that? And it just didn't come together. Cam Fleming struggled. He had a rough game. Uh, Nick Gates, he struggled. He had a rough game. And 
You know, Andrew Thomas was actually pretty good. His debut with the Giants, number four overall pick, was pretty solid. So you, you had to like what you saw there. But the offensive line as a whole was a net negative. And then Saquon Barkley, look, he didn't have any chances on most of the runs. Maybe one of the runs I saw he could have stuck it up in there a little harder, uh, you know, gained some yards. But, look, he was hit 11 times at or behind the line of scrimmage. 11 times out of 16, uh, 16 rush, 15 rushes, sorry, at the line of scrimmage. So he really had no chance there. But he's their best player. They need Saquon Barkley to play better. His pass blocking was not great once again. This was something I was willing last year to say. Coming off the ankle injury, you struggle. I mean, it was a play. Remember, Jamal Adams just blew him up, forced a fumble, sack, QB hit, and touchdown in the same play. Jared Davis of the Detroit Lions completely embarrassed Saquon on a pass rush as well. So as a pass protector, he struggled. But I was willing to put it off and make the excuse and say, okay, you know what? He had an ankle injury. He was, especially coming back from that, very hesitant. That contributed to his pass blocking struggles last year. But now you're talking about week one. You saw the same thing again this year. You have to say, Saquon, you have to, he needs to do better. He needs to do better. We'll get to Tiki Barber's comments a little bit later. And Saquon also dropped the pass. He's lucky it wasn't intercepted. It deflected off him a play he should have caught. He got caught peeking and almost like being, almost being, looked like he was afraid to take the hit. He's the superstar. He's supposed to be this transcendent talent. They need him to not make those mistakes. So Saquon Barkley, he's in the bad category. He's got to do better. I mean, everyone walks around, and, and you know, you're, you're awed by his talent. And I get it. His talent is amazing. And he's a great, great player. But the reality is he, has not, he did not play that well on Monday night. He did not play that well last season. And I'm, well, like I said, we'll make that excuse for him with the ankle injury but if you're going to be that kind of player, you have to be willing to be honest with yourself and say he needs to do better. He needs to play better than he did the other night. And let's move on a little bit more to some other things that were a little concerning on Monday night. And really, a lot of our fears were sort of validated, right? Everything we, we knew about this Giants offensive team, a new offensive line, that could be a concern. It proved to be a concern. The number two cornerback, Corey Ballantyne, that spot. Isaac Yadam, who they recently picked up. Those guys playing on the outside opposite James Bradbury. The Steelers picked on them. I have them basically completing or four of six passes. Should have been five of six except for a drop against Ballantyne. Isaac Yadam gave up a touchdown, got lost in coverage on one play. Uh, I believe that was Juju's first. Uh, but anyway, that was just validated the concerns about that cornerback spot that second cornerback I'm not sure Corey Ballantyne did a good job coming up being physical against the run but geez they're gonna have to find something out there to uh, otherwise if I'm the opponent I'm gonna either attack that or go after the slot I mean Darnay Scott I mean Darnay Holmes sorry a good young looking player but if you have a Juju Smith-Schuster like the Pittsburgh Steelers do you move that guy into the slot. That's a tough matchup for a rookie, especially in his first game in the NFL. That's a matchup that if you're the Steelers, I don't care how good Darnay Holmes is, right, a, a mid-round pick out of UCLA, you're looking at it as the Steelers, you're saying, that's a matchup I want to exploit. And they did. Out of the slot, I believe the final numbers were six 
uh, targets, six catches for Juju, about 100 yards and two touchdowns for him out of the slot. So, hey, that worked for them. That's still a concern for the Giants. That second cornerback spot and really that the secondary outside of James Bradbury in terms of coverage, uh, just that's where if you're the opposing team, they're going to come in with the philosophy of saying, okay, that's how we're going to beat the Giants. And don't think the Bears aren't going to do that. Let's think back to last year. The Bears put Allen Robinson in the slot, where at the time he was going up against Corey Ballantyne. They threw him about six straight plays, went down the field, 80 yards, tore him apart. And then I, I've been, I spoke to someone on the Bears in, it's, that was on that Bears team in this past offseason, and they sort of just laughed. Oh, yeah, that was Ballantyne that we just threw out all the way down the field. That They, they pinpointed him during the game and said, we got to throw out this guy. He can't cover him. Put Allen Robinson in the slot. Exploit that matchup, and that's exactly what they did, and it helped them win. That was with Mitch Trubisky and Allen Robinson. Okay, now in week two of the NFL season, after seeing the opener, what do you think the Chicago Bears are going to do? They're going to try and do that same thing, whether it's a Corey Ballantin on the outside or whoever's playing the slot, which is probably going to be Darnay Holmes for the Giants, which will be Darnay Holmes. I'm not, I don't know, there's no reason why he shouldn't be. So there you go. Uh, other things about the Giants that was a little concerning the turnovers from Daniel Jones that's the what the WTF we'll get into that the, the, the WTF from this game the one the play that just made you pull out your hair and say what is going on was 19th play of a beautiful drive Daniel Jones rolls out to his left he's being tracked by a Steelers defender he knows that he's under heavy pressure they're rolling out to the left they're near the goal line. They're inside the 10, I believe, or right around there. And Saquon Barkley's in the flat. And it looked like to me that Daniel Jones was actually trying to throw the ball out the back of the end zone. But he knew he was under heavy pressure. The guy was closing on him. Gets his arm hit. Interception. Basically game over. Giants are losing 16-10 at the time. They were on the verge. It was a second down play. So either you take the sack there, you throw the ball, you throw the ball, left-handed out of bounds or you just spike it at Saquon's feet with a little quick short arm throw but you can't wind up like that knowing there's a guy coming from your weak side and then get your arm hit take the sack if you have to you live to breathe another play okay I mean it's just absolutely mandatory there and and you know Joe Judge got on him after the game said not acceptable not acceptable. That's what, And Daniel Jones said, obviously, a play I have to have back. So don't tell me, you know, he was under pressure. He wasn't trying to fit into a tight window. It doesn't matter. In that scenario, his job is to not turn the ball over. Number one and only job at that point, don't turn it over. However you do it, that was his responsibility. He did not get it done. So that's your WTF moment, okay? And now the way it sits is the Giants are 0-1. They play the Bears this week. Huge game for the Giants. You know why? Because it's a winnable game. This isn't a great Bears team. Let's say they lose to the Bears. They have the 49ers. I know they're banged up. That's still a tough game. The Rams look good in week one. And the Cowboys, a very talented team. 1-4, 0-5 is a distinct possibility if the Giants can't beat the Chicago Bears. I know it's on the road. But, again, how much is – we don't really know yet. But how much is home field – advantage this year I don't really know if it's much I mean usually the point spread gives three points to the home team in my opinion it's probably about a one point difference this year playing home in the road I really just don't think it's that big a deal the travel 
Yes, there are some things that teams, are, you know, hoops they have to jump through in the travel. We'll go over some of that a little bit after this week, see, what, see exactly what the Giants are going to do with their travel plans. But you get in town, you get in town wherever you're going to, okay? They go to the hotel, they check in, they eat, they do everything there, they don't go anywhere, they get up the next morning, they go to the stadium, they play, and they go home. That's what it's going to be. And really, that's pretty much what it is these days anyway, okay? I mean, the idea that you think that players go out and party on the road in the NFL, it doesn't really happen that much anymore. It doesn't. Teams are flying in. They have meetings on Saturday night that they're mandatory, that they have to go to. Coaches set up a schedule that doesn't give them much time. Maybe they can go out to eat, but they have to be back by 8, 9, 10 o'clock maybe. I don't even think – most teams probably have guys in before 10 o'clock, you know, for a mandatory meeting. They're probably like 8 o'clock they're due back. So, yeah, you can go out from like 5 to 7 o'clock, go for an early dinner, whatever. So you can't do that this year. Big deal. Nobody's going out clubbing anymore on Saturday night before you play a Sunday game. It just rarely, if ever, happens. Okay. All right, so let's go over some of the good. Don't throw away this giant season just yet and say this is the same team. They're a mess. They're a disaster. Are they good enough to handle and, and play and beat a top team? I think the answer to that is still no. But who honestly really thought that's what the Giants were going to be for the most part this season? To me, you look at that game the other day, they showed improvement. They hung in. Their defense, they played, they hung in. They were better. They weren't great. They felt later in the game, they had their holes, they had their weaknesses, they had their Achilles heels, you know, come to the surface. But there were positives to take from that defensive performance. Some pressure, some different looks. They confused the Steelers at times. Leonard Williams had a nice game, especially in the first half. Um, Lorenzo Carter. Look like he's taking the next step. Do I think he's going to be a 10-12 sack guy? No, absolutely not. But do I think Lorenzo Carter can be a solid starter in the NFL, a 7-8 sack guy, who you say, okay, that's, he's a pretty good starting caliber player in the NFL. I think we're trending in that direction. The new signings, Blake Martinez. You saw a place from Blake Martinez that you just hadn't seen from a Giants linebacker the past few years. You know, tracking down a screen, making tackles all over the place, 12, 12 tackles total. You know, Blake Martinez is a tackling machine all over the field. Yes, can you exploit him at times in the passing game if he's lined up one-on-one and matched up with a really high-end tight end? Of course. I think that holds true for almost every linebacker in the NFL these days. But Blake Martinez is a solid NFL starting caliber player, exactly what the Giants bought, and you saw that on Monday night. Same with James Bradbury. Is he a lockdown number one cornerback? No. Did he get beat for a touchdown when him and Darnay Holmes splatted against each other and both basically flew to the ground and got flattened like pancakes? Yes, he did. But you saw James Bradbury make plays. A quality starting cornerback for the Giants. He's basically the replacement for Janaris Jenkins without the shenanigans that Janaris Jenkins brings to the table. Darius Slayton continues to make that growth. Another positive. Look, I sat here this offseason, this summer at training camp. I know it was a short period of time, and I watched Darius Slayton. For the most part, you look at him, he doesn't dominate, even in practice. You see a solid player, a quality player, but then he gets to the game, and you're like, oh, my God, is this guy maybe the real deal? Does he maybe have the potential to blossom into that number one receiver? And I continue to scratch my head. Since he started 
since he became the starter with Daniel Jones week three last year, or not became the starter, but since Daniel Jones was inserted to the lineup week three last year through week one this year, 10 receiving touchdowns, tied for the NFL lead during that time. It's undeniable he's been a force. Now, granted, he's not receiving, for the most part, number one receiver coverage. He doesn't have the team's number one guy, so we have to stop this guy and and opposing uh, defensive coordinators game planning strictly to stop him as their number one guy to stop because obviously they have Saquon. They have some other decent receivers, some other quality targets. But Darius Slayton continues to produce at a very high level. Like The way people look at A.J. Brown and the Titans, I think that's the way you can look at Darius Slayton. A true dominant number one receiver? Probably not. But is he a, a quality number two receiver? I think that's what you got with Darius Slayton. And you know what? Maybe he develops into more. Maybe I continue to undersell Darius Slayton, but a good quality player and certainly a great fifth-round pick for Dave Gettleman. I mean, that's his feather in the cap. His two things are Daniel Jones. What does he have going for him? He has Daniel Jones, and he has Darius Slayton. The offensive line rebuild still not there, not even close, right? Uh, the overall roster, defensive playmakers still lacking. But there was some – Darius Slayton is a, just a good pick for him. There's no way around it. That is a good pick. Uh, no matter how big a Dave Gettleman hater you might be, you have to give him credit for Darius Slayton. And then you like some of the things you saw in Joe Judge's debut. They played tough. They were a physical team. A lot of positives there. His special teams, for sure, that's going to be a good unit. And I think you, should, you noticed – he views the punt returner, kickoff returner, as a, a hardcore playmaking position. He's going to put his A1 guys out there. That means on punt returns, you're going to see Golden Tape and Jabril Peppers. And when they're out on the field, those are going to be the guys. And Golden Tate, I would expect him to be back this week. He missed, ended up missing the opener. The reason was the Giants had to keep in mind that there's 15 more games. Did they really want to push Golden? Like, if this was a playoff game, I think Golden Tate would have played. But the decision was made mostly, I think, on the Giants' part that said there's 15 more games in this season. Are we really going to push him to get a 75 80% Golden Tate in week one of the NFL season? Is that in the best interest of Golden Tate, the player, and the New York Giants, the team? And the answer they came away with to that I think was no. So you saw Golden Tate be inactive. But this is finally going to be the week. Barring anything happen between now and Sunday at 1 p.m. That Daniel Jones has the full cast of characters out there to support him. That means Saquon Barkley at running back. Evan Ingram at tight end. Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, and Sterling Shepard as his wide receivers. All five of those guys on the field at the same time for at least one snap. It's going to go down on Sunday afternoon for the New York Giants. On to the next one. All right, so let's bring in former Giants offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz. He is the host of the Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You podcast, obviously a very apropos uh, podcast name right there because when it comes to football – uh, Jeff Schwartz, and especially offensive line play, Jeff Schwartz is definitely smarter than me and you. So that's why we're having Jeff Schwartz here. Welcome, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Um, 
I texted you, I believe, when you picked the Giants to beat the Steelers and told you that that was <laughs> a misguided opinion. And I know that you were excited for Giants football, but uh, unfortunately – they look exactly like I thought they would, which uh, is a team that still has a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah, take it on the chin sometime. I was wrong there. I got a little over-optimistic. I thought that the offensive line would at least be able to run block somewhat effectively. I thought that was maybe going to be the strength of this team. Proved to be way, 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 way wrong on that. Uh, you know, .4 yards per carry. That is – Jeff, I think you can average .4 yeah. yards per – Per carry. I, I, I mean, that's how hard it is to accomplish in the NFL. I mean, seriously. Look, I think there were a lot of things when you watch that game that kind of went against the Giants' offensive line. Just generally speaking, I think we saw younger offensive lines kind of inexperienced. Right? This offensive line had a rookie starting at, at, at uh, left tackle, you know, uh, and it just was like the brand-new center. It just was, it just was not going to be uh, very fluid. And it didn't look fluid. Secondly, is the Steelers, their only game plan was to stop the run game. Like it was very evident by what they were doing out there that their only goal was to make sure Barkley did not get off. And they did that with bringing weird run, run pressures. And they really took advantage of hammering Evan Ingram on the edge, too, who couldn't really run block. And so all those factors led into a poor run game. I'm not sure it's totally on the offensive line at all times. But I'm not surprised. I said it from the beginning of this kind of weird, weird training camp that younger offensive line, really younger units in the NFL are going to have trouble. And they did. You had a veteran Steelers defense and a very young offensive line that hadn't played together very much. And this is what happened. So it's, not, it's actually not that surprising to me. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Right. So explain to me, so what did the Steelers do 
and like and how how was it that they basically and what are the giants what's the way to combat that right are they supposed to then play action deep or they're supposed to try and hit him with deep plays i mean they did hit him with the slate and play but really besides that did they really attack downfield that much probably not a ton so what's what's the move when, when a team does that i mean how often i assume you think you're saying the steelers basically had eight nine guys in the box at all times to stop saquon yeah, and it's not even that, too. It's just that if you looked at how fast they triggered the the linebackers as soon as the ball was handed off, just shows you what they're thinking right away. Right now, look, linebackers are taught to read, you know, through the offensive linemen to, to the handoff, and, and that's why flagship pass works is great because they're still taught linebackers to, to look at the run first and react, you know, secondarily. And they were doing that. They were, they were running downhill, and as soon as the ball was handed off, and they also took took Watt and stood him up as basically an extra linebacker and then ran him directly into one of the A gaps a lot of the reps. So they were in their normal in their normal defensive alignment and they would pick up Watt and have him run into the A gap wherever the the defensive tackle wasn't at to create penetration so there couldn't be double teamed and so Barkley would kind of get off his mark as he's running. And so yes, the solution is play action pass, but we saw the Giants tried that, but they put tight ends on Watt, and he pressured, he pressured, or Bud Dupree pressured uh, Daniel Jones before the ball was out. So you, how do you answer that? You screen pass, you put an extra offensive lineman as a tight end, right, and, and, and you have him in protection instead of an Evan Ingram or someone else who can't do it. And right. those are ways you can – or, you know, they did this really early in the game, is they got into, I think, 13 personnel, right, one running back, three tight ends, and um, – and spread everyone out. And in, in that situation, um, you know, they had kind of a base defense, throwing the ball around a little bit. You know, the, the no huddle, the play action, you know, the no huddle stuff kind of works to tire everyone out, but it just, it just never happened. And um, it, it's something that it's hard to fix kind of in game when you schematically are a little bit behind, especially with, like I said, the tight ends blocking these, these outside linebackers. Right. Yeah, that's the thing is I, I thought they would be, ready for this kind of approach, you know, at least, at least tactically and uh, be able to m- move the ball at least on the ground, which actually turned to be the complete opposite. Instead, Daniel Jones looked pretty good. I mean, he made a lot of plays except for that one or two bonehead play each game that he yeah. seems to have. So what did, what did you see from Daniel Jones? Despite, I mean, let's be honest, he was under heavy pressure. I think they had 22 pressures yeah. on him on, on 41 or 42 dropbacks or something like that? Well, obviously, the, the play-action pass was was really good, that touchdown. And then I even tweeted out at the time, and you know I've been harsh on Daniel Jones, but I thought that drive, the long 91-yard uh, drive that ended in the in – in the, or the 19-play drive and interception, he was doing really well in that drive. I think he completed, what, three, three, third, or three or fourth um, – Oh, yeah, every play was a third down. Third they down. were grinding that drive out. I mean, it, it was – It was good and then, and then, like, great pass. And then here's the thing, though, is like these bonehead plays, man. I mean, Josh Allen and the Bills still makes them. Like, you, you can't have these. Like, Carson Wentz, by, you know, Carson Wentz still makes these boneheaded plays. You, you just have to understand the NFL when you're a quarterback, when the play is over and when it's lost and the situation, right? Second and three, you're downside the 10. You, the play is over, Daniel Jones. Like, it, it wasn't happening. You, you, you got, yeah. the, 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 it got snuffed out. Just take the L, throw it away. Take the sack. Just don't try to make 
something out of nothing when you have third down and potentially fourth down to make it happen. And maybe that's something that, that, that gets corrected as he gets older. But I just worry because, you know, how Mahomes ever made plays like that, right? Lamar doesn't really make plays. I mean, some of these young Kyler Murray doesn't. Um, you know, Joe Burrow did. He made a, a bonehead play the other day as well. So you can grow from these. Um, but in year two, you have to hope that these don't happen anymore because that was that, that was the game. The, the game was over after he, he threw that ball up in the air and Hayward intercepted it. So, you know, Jeff, we, we, could say, we could say what we want about the Giants and how they played and how they had no chance. They had a chance to take the lead with two minutes left in the third quarter at that point. Think about that. They're right. down 16 right. to 10. Like, they're really driving the field. They're inside the 10-yard line or whatever, right, right around there. Yeah. And, and even if they take a loss there, they have a chance to score a touchdown because there's another play that was second down. They have a chance to score a touchdown on third down and take the lead. Worst-case scenario, you're looking at 16-13. With two minutes yeah. left in the third quarter, you have a real game. Well, that's the thing about, about these plays is – I know there's a lot of plays within a game and you can look at every play and say, well, if we did better here, if we did better there, but typically the game does come down to one or two plays. Right. And, and they often come down to, to mistakes. And this is a mistake by Daniel Jones and it just deflates the entire team. Right. And then, and then the defense, which really is still young, it's not terribly talented. Um, you know, if you're there, the, the, the Giants defense in that situation, you're obviously bummed out, but really the Steelers, team collectively is fired up because of that play right they're like oh shoot right. they're about to take the lead on us and that's like oh never mind we get the ball it's just it's so the, the i know there's no momentum really I and mean, you can't quantify that but the idea of like confidence i think is what momentum really is and you went from a, a really confident giants team to a deflated giants team now a steelers team who did take some time to get in a rhythm offensively with, with ben being back and when they got in that rhythm um they looked pretty good and so yeah you're right they were right there but one or two of those plays a game, especially when you have other parts of your team that, aren't as, that are deficient, really, really hurt. And so Daniel Jones can eliminate those. He has a chance. But so far, I know he's young. It's not, his, his career is not – I don't think he's even started a full season yet of games. Um, he's got to eliminate that, that, was number, that was number 13 the other night. He's got to eliminate those mistakes. Like that, that, that just those, – those kill you. Especially, on a, again, a limited team, right? The team is not very talented right now. And – um, you can't afford things like that to happen. Again, I don't want to be too harsh on him because, like, like you said, it's 13th game. He has plenty of time to improve those issues. But if they want to be competitive this year, a lot of it's going to fall on the offense. Yeah, well, the, the problem is, is that that one play, and sure, we're, we're you know, harping on one play when he actually played pretty well for like 98% of his plays. But we're harping on that one play because you were hoping that in year two, the fumbles and the mistakes would kind of – you know, be eliminated. And that's something yeah. that you saw again. And, and really what the Steelers did was they, they saw the Giants' deficiencies and, and, and they took advantage of them and they, they figured out in the second half, okay, let's throw at their second cornerback, let's who Corey Ballantyne or uh, I, Isaac Yada when he was on the field, or let's, uh, let's go put Juju in the slot. They can't, you know, they got a rookie there. That's a tough matchup for any rookie. And uh, that's how we're going to kind of exploit this team. We'll, we'll run at at O'Shane Zimenez and not Lorenzo Carter, right? You know, they, so they, they, find, yeah. they, they found the Giants' weaknesses. And what we thought were going to be the Giants' weaknesses turned out to be the offensive line, basically three new guys. Now here's – first of all, let's, let's go over this first. We'll get to the offensive line one more time in a second. But this is a comment that came out. We're, we're taping this on Wednesday, so I got a hold of this this morning. 
from Tiki Barber. And you could say what you want about Tiki Barber. You know, his, the end of his giant career ended poorly, but he knows a little something about running back play. I will give you know, you, ha- you have to concede that he had a great career. So Saquon, this is what he said on his, on his show, Tiki or Tierney. Saquon Barkley might not be an every down back. He cannot pass protect. It's becoming glaring. It's going to be a liability. Recognition is one and two. You got to hit a dude. Saquon Barkley is a big man who doesn't want to hit anybody. It's frustrating to watch. He's a great back, but he's frustrating to watch trying to pass protect. And that was glaring throughout this game. There was a couple times where him and Andrew Thomas, you know, didn't either had miscommunication yeah. or someone didn't want to go. Uh, and this is a trend that's now carrying over from last year. You wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because he had an ankle injury, but you know, it's showing up again in week one. So I want your opinion on what you think about a running back who maybe isn't the best at blocking. And is it possible, Jeff, to, sw- to hide that when you have a running back like that, who's as great as Saquon is as a player, except maybe that's his one deficiency? Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. And he, he, Tiki's right. There was the one glaring sack that was given up because Barkley went didn't just didn't see his guy, right? And um, there was, was a couple plays like that. One turned into a sack. One yeah. ended, ended up being a QB hit. Yeah. So um, look, he's right about that. Um, that that's not acceptable from a running back, especially from just a, a, a schematic perspective, right? Like you have, you know, this is the this is the protection. The offensive line has these guys. You have that guy. Like that's your job. I get if you can physically beat, you can work on that. But I don't know how you work on schematics. I mean, you practice this all week, right? I mean, look, protection can be complicated. And maybe with Daniel Jones, a young guy who's very bright, maybe there's some issues. I don't, I don't want to put this on Daniel Jones because everyone else seems to be on the same page except Barkley. So, um, you know, as far as hiding it, uh, teams will take advantage of it. If he's on the field on third down, and they already teams already scheme up pressures to the running back side, especially pick plays and things like that to try to get the tackle and the running back on separate planes and pick them. Uh, they're going to keep doing it if Barkley's in there on third down. And maybe they find someone else to put in there. Maybe uh, uh, Goldman is – Goldman's on the team still, right? Because it's Deion, Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis is the guy you're going to see on third down. Goldman, by the way, was on the field for like five plays, and he also <laughs> he also had the same problem. So he's um, – so not going to be Goldman. You, you just don't want to get into a situation where – and the Patriots had this problem, I think. And it was Sony Michelle was like every time he was on the field, it was a run pass, a run play. I mean, a run play, right? Right. Every, so I don't think you want it to where like Saquon Barkley. Every time he's on the field, it's a run or a screen. And then whenever Deion Lewis comes in, it's a pass play, right? Or maybe it's a draw on third and nine. Like you don't want to be that specific on offense. So they're gonna have to find ways. And maybe it's as simple as Daniel Jones every play. Hey. Saquon, you have this guy, and he literally has to point to him. I mean, quarterbacks do it all the time. It's not uncommon, but in a brand-new offense, in a first game, that's a lot to put on Daniel Jones' plate, to say, hey, man, we're a new offense against a tough defense. I need you to deal the, you know, handle your assignment, make sure the protection's good, and then tell Saquon what to do. That's a lot for him to do, right? And so um, it's up to Saquon – to be able to understand what the protection is and who he has. Running backs have one or two guys of protection. It's not that complicated for them. They have to just know what they're doing and listen to what the offensive line is doing. Right. Well, I mean, it's something definitely to watch because last year there was at least two plays. One was uh, Jared Davis from the Lions just absolutely pulverized Saquon, sacked the quarterback, I believe he 
might even force the fumble. And then Jamal Adams just embarrassed Saquon on one play as well. So it was really like a theme. And you're like, okay, you know, he has this ankle injury. He's, he's not playing as physical. He, that's in the back of his head. But if you want to be the best running back in the league and one of the greats of all time, something he better shore up real quick. Real quick. Agreed. Agreed. So one more thing before I get you out of here. Ready? The Giants probably at some point – are going to say, all right, Cameron Fleming is who he's been most of his career, right? He's a serviceable uh, right tackle. You throw him in there. He's probably not a full 16-game starter, never really has been, in, never has been in his career. So they're, they're really high on this young tackle from UConn, Matt Pert. So he'll probably be put in the lineup at some point at right tackle. You're going to be starting Matt Pert, a rookie on the right side, and Andrew Thomas, a rookie on the left side. Jeff, how crazy is that in today's NFL if you're starting two rookies? And is that even how, – how realistic do you think it is to be able to do that? Well, it's, it's very tough. Um, I, I have not watched all 22 of the game yet. Uh, people I trust um, that have watched the game closely have said Andrew Thomas played well. I, I haven't watched. I'm not going to give you my assessment. But I'll tell you what. Makai Beckton on the Jets played well, I thought. I thought Jedrick Wills on the Browns played decently well. I have not watched Tristan Wirfs yet. So if it goes like everyone else, and I think Thomas played decently well, you know, it's about, you know, what's Perk going to do? I saw some, you know, some really good clips of him in training camp with some run blocking. Um, but the issue when you have two young guys is you can't help both of them, right? You right. can't, you know, like the Jets, if you watch a Jets game, they, they, they helped Makai Beckton a decent amount. The Browns helped Jedrick Wills a decent amount um, for being their first games. You can't help both guys. So it's going to be basically up to Andrew Thomas to just go about his rookie season with no help whatsoever. And they're going to obviously help hurt a lot more than they would, but that's not the best thing for Andrew Thomas then. Obviously. No, correct. But he's the fourth pick of the draft. I mean, that, that's his job. Like he's, going to get, he's getting paid to block someone by himself. That's why he's getting, that's why he's such a high draft pick. I mean, that's, that's the reality of the business too, is that, he dropped the fourth overall. He got at some point he's on his own. Now, you'd hope it was a little bit later, but it might be now. But, look, you have got to figure out offensive line. Um, you have to protect your asset, which is Daniel Jones. That is the future of your franchise. If you do not do a good job protecting him, there is no future for your franchise, right? He, he will get hurt. He will not be able to play well. Um, we've seen other teams put in the resources to get that done, yeah, the Bills, for example, are a good good example, right? They have done the, they put in they've hit on their picks, by the way, in the Frazens uh, for that offensive line. The Giants yeah. have got to do the same. They have to they have to win those. And I think Colombo is their offensive line coach. He's a good offensive line coach. He could get them there. It's just right now with the weird off season and no training camp, really, it's hard to get there this season. But yeah, you, if, if Pertz has more upside and you get the same amount of production as you would Fleming, then put him in the game. Yeah. I mean, it's probably going to happen at some point. I, I, I really do think that. Real quick, last thing. You brought up Mark Colombo and the strange offseason. Is it harder for them to get the run blocking right and then the pass blocking early in, in this crazy offseason with, with such little preparation? Um, I think that um, there what's would up, be – What's more difficult for them? I mean, to get – to make sure you're, everyone's on the, you know, on the same wavelength. I, I, I think it's – I think it's all difficult. Like, I, I don't um, – you know, run blocking, I guess, against the Steelers is going to be tough as we saw, right? If you if teams sell out to sell the run, it doesn't even matter if you're 
ready to run block, right? I mean, you just, you're not going to do well. And so um, we saw this week that veteran offensive lines did a good job of running blocking, Chiefs, Ravens, Saints. Um, you know, I think it's just, it's tough when you're young to, to, to be good, either for both, run blocking and pass blocking. Run blocking, you can typically hide a couple more guys, you know, build in double teams, uh, which, which hide individual matchups. In, in pass protection, you can, right? In pass protection, right. Uh, you, you know, most guys are, it's four on four and you get one extra guy somewhere or defenses do a really good job of making it one-on-one everywhere. Um, so pass blocking is always more difficult, uh, no matter the situation. Yeah, they were bringing five, six, even seven at times, the Steelers were. And those are some good guys, by the way. So uh, that's why in the NFL today, the, the new path to being a good team, like you need the two pass rushers, right? You need a good guy on each yes. side. So basically, you could exploit other teams when they have one or two, one, one of the tackles that are, yeah. you know, usually lesser, of lesser quality. So that, that's, uh, you know, roster construction these days. I mean, you, get, you have guys like, T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, you're going to give everybody fits, and they sure did on the Giants the other day. So that's yeah. Jeff Schwartz, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish up. We're good. We're good. You're good? You sure? Come on. We need more wisdom. I'm good. <laughs> no, let's do it. I don't want, I don't want to, to subject Giants fans any more than me. They have to. <laughs> they love you, Jeff. They do. Deep down in their hearts, they know it. They wanted it to work out. Jeff Schwartz. G-E-O-F-F. He goes the G-off way. Schwartz at, on Twitter. Uh, also, the Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you podcast. We'll have him back later in the season. Love to talk football, especially offensive line with my man, Jeff. Thank you very much. All right. Take care, buddy. On to the next one. That was Jeff Schwartz, former Giants and NFL offensive lineman, providing us some perspective from the eyes of a former offensive lineman, which I thought was pretty interesting because he really put in perspective how hard this is going to be for this Giants offensive line. And maybe we didn't make enough of this coming into the season of how difficult this is going to be for the Giants offensive line to play at a respectable and a level that most people want them to be at and to make this offense function effectively. Because if you think about it, look at their upcoming. I mean, they started with the Steelers, maybe perhaps the best defense in the league. They got the 49ers on deck after the Bears, who are, are no, are, don't have a shoddy defense either, right? So those are their first three games. And then the Rams, so uh, whose defense is pretty darn good. It look, at least it looked that way the other night. And with Aaron Donald, who is just an absolute beast in the middle. So it'll be interesting to see how the Giants sort of figure a way to work around that early this season, if they're able to work around that and how much of a limitation it's going to be once again for this organization so we'll see how that plays out but now is the part of the podcast where I get into Jordan on the beat this is where I tell you what it's like to be a reporter for covering the New York Giants covering the NFL in general working for ESPN and I'm gonna give you a little peek into the game experience for a reporter in this COVID environment and first off for the first time in 125 regular season and playoff games, I am not going to be live at the game this Sunday for Giants-Bears. Now, I think you can understand traveling at this point in time for everyone is pretty iffy, right? I mean, to, to go long distance, there would need to be a significant reason. Like, it's a risk to get on a plane, to go stay in a hotel. 
to be in a foreign city. Now, the problem is, and if there was a huge gain for it, and we've had these discussions internally for sure, but if there's huge gain, then yes, I would be at the game. But the reality is, there's no access. You're not allowed down on the field before the game. You're not, and these are rules pretty much across the league. No coaches, as far as I know, are doing live press conferences. You're not allowed in the locker room after the game. Uh, so the access is so limited. What are you really gaining by being at the game? Now, we were at the home game because you're allowed to attend home games. and I mean, you're allowed to attend road games if you want to, but at home games, the stadiums obviously are empty, no fans. So really only people that are working there are in the stadium. You're in the press box, or in, you, I think you could sit outside in one of the sections, but everybody's spread out. You, The only real benefit is you get to see the game from that higher level, from that sort of all-22 type level where you have the aerial view and you could see the entire field rather than sometimes the screen on television is limited and doesn't include all 22 players. So you do get that. But is that enough to then go on the road and take the risk at this point with COVID still a concern throughout our society? And then is there cost-effectiveness of it all and, and whether it's really worth it? And right now, with the access that's available, the answer, quite frankly, is no. So I will be at home like you for the first time in 125 Giants games. For the first time since week seven of the 2013 season. That was when they played at home on Monday night, the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, and the Giants were 0-6 at the time. It was their first win of that season. So... So it's been a long time, and I'm not overly excited about it. I'd rather be at the game, have full access, but this is the the hand we've been dealt this season. So that's what it's like to cover the NFL these days. But after the game, I'll be on the Zoom calls, Coach Joe Judge, players. Uh, I'll have the access to all the the statistics on the fly. There's a a system that we can get into where – uh, you know, defensive stats are updated consistently, the, the official stats and, and all those things. So I'll do my best to provide you the best possible coverage I can throughout not only this week, but throughout this season, given the limitations. Now, I've been saying this to people say, you know, what are you able to do? And really, and I think this is why a lot of you follow me, and I hope it is, is because the best way to get information this year and really the only way to be, really provide quality coverage is to have those contacts. And the ability I have to call upon people in the organization, whether it's coaches, front office personnel, players, whatever it is, and to be able to reach out and talk to those people on a regular basis, text them before, after games, talk to them before, after games, those kind of things, and really know and find out what's really going on and then pass along that information to you guys. The fans. And really, that's my job. I'm the, the conduit of information between what's going on with the team and you, the public. And the fact that I have these sources really is what separates and is a differential between anyone who's good right now, anyone who's just going to give you what you can find anywhere. You could go search yourself. So I hope I'm doing that. Trust me, I'm trying as hard as I can 
to dig and find you behind the scenes what's really going on. So right now, what's going on is the Giants are 0-1. And this is the end of the week one Breaking Big Blue podcast. We will do a Giants After Dark questionnaire sometime soon, I promise you, or or question and answer period. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be on Instagram, which I did before the game the other day, uh, Twitter and Periscope, or we'll do it right here with another episode of of, uh, Breaking Big Blue. The limitations, again, with this podcast are apparent and evident. I mean, I'm sitting here right now taping this in my office, a.k.a. my car. I mentioned that before. Uh, the interviews I'm taping on Zoom, we're working, you know, each time I'm trying different things, seeing what works best, brings you the best audio quality. I know it's not always the best. Uh, this time, uh, I think I sounded a little messed up uh, on the Zoom call. I'm working on it. I promise. I'm going to make tweaks as we go along. Please send the, send along your feedback. I always take it into consideration. Send your questions along Instagram, email, Twitter, Facebook, wherever I'm available, you can contact me. I try, I try, keyword try, to respond to almost all questions that are reasonable. I promise you I do. Uh, So tell your friends about this podcast. The numbers, we're growing. We're growing. I appreciate every single one of you. Tell your friends, tell your friends to tell their friends, and their friends to tell their friends so we can all be friends. Okay? And that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.